I was watching The Last Dance with my sons and I realized though it was about Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen and the Chicago Bulls, one of the biggest factors of the Chicago Bulls was Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson was the leader, the coach. He's the person, as soon as he stepped on to that team, he helped them to get a ring. He was able to help them to see who they were individually and as a leader and as a team. And I think that's why we need a coach because you need somebody to help you develop yourself personally and within a group. So that's what Al Hardy is here to do. That's what I'm here to do is help you to grow personally and within your team, within your group, within your family. Go to www.mralhardy.com forward slash coaching sessions. Promo code Al's Chicken and Waffles. going on everybody i'm super excited about today we have one of my boys as i said he's my og my mentor um and just a good brother he's like my brother really my big brother name is chris broussard if you've been following him you know he's a nba analyst but he's beyond that he's a man of god and me and him we we connected through the king movement uh, organization that he's created um, but we're going to get into a little bit of everything, man. We're going to talk about basketball. We're going to talk about family. We're going to talk about religion and, sp- and spirituality. And we're going to talk about being a black father. Man, just enjoy this. Um, what's going on, everybody? Yo, I am super excited today. I got one of my, my I, I'll call him one of my OGs, my, 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 my mentors. But he, he's more than that. He's a brother. He's a big brother, uh, my man Chris. Um, and as you know, this is called Al's Chicken and Waffles, where we talk about relationships, all different types of relationships, um, from family to to brotherhood to uh, to business to work. So um, in this episode, you know, me and Chris, we're gonna really dive into some of the relationships that kind of formed him into who he is at this moment. So what's going on, my brother? Man, I'm great. Um, you know, when I agreed to come on this, I thought I was going to get uh, some chicken and waffles, man. What's up? <laughs> Not, well, you know. I was expecting a, a package today uh, on my front porch. Well, well, well you know, we, we, we don't have no sponsorships yet. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know what I mean? So maybe we could do DoorDash. I, I don't even know if I can say them yet. DoorDash or <laughs> Uber. You know what I mean? Uber Eats. So... Chris, man, um, let's let's go here, man. Um, we we like we dive into relationships, man. So your relationship um, with your pops, man. Like you know, I know he was a vital. I, I see the, the the post, you know, on uh, on social media and everything like that. Like, and and this is going to kind of inform everybody of who 
of who you are, right? So your pops, who is your pops, your mom's, like, you know, how did that relationship form and and, and how important is your pops, you know, in, in the maturity and the maturation of who you are? Yeah, well, um, you know, I've been blessed, man. My parents, they're both, I was raised in a two-parent household. They will have been married 55 years in October, which mm-hmm. is a blessing. And then both of my grandparents, both sets of my grandparents, uh, they were all married until their deaths. So they were all married over 55 years themselves. Mm. So I came from a family uh, of committed marriages. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was a blessing. And um, my father, Ed Broussard was his name, my mother, Cheryl Broussard. But, um, you know, man, every kid, especially boy, but, but but actually, I shouldn't even maybe say that. But, you know, your dad is Superman, man. You know, and my dad's like, you know, when I was growing up, he was like five, six, 120 pounds, <laughs> 120, 125 pounds. Yeah. But to me, he was Superman, you know. Yeah. And, um, you know, you just look up, man. Kids look up to their fathers. And, um, and that's one of the unfortunate things today with the father there's so much of the fatherlessness that's going on mm-hmm. um and i mean look growing up in the 70s and the 80s mm-hmm. yeah i never even heard the term mentor mm. i never heard the term mentor till the mid to late 80s yeah um because most even you know in the black community mm-hmm. most fathers were there mm-hmm. And um, in 1960, I believe it was 80% of black fathers were there. In 1980, I believe it was 60% mm-hmm. were in the house. Um, and there are many reasons for the disintegration of that. But mm-hmm. I didn't need a mentor uh, growing up because I had my father. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I had coaches. Mm-hmm. Other co- My father coached me, too, in, mm-hmm. in everything, football, basketball, and baseball. But... I had other coaches. I had other adult men in my life that, you know, I could look up to as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and if in, in, in particular, you know, fields of endeavor, there could be a man here or there that was more, you know, he knew more about that area than my dad. So you can have mentors in that way. But for me, I think that's, that's, like I said, that's one of the tough things, man. And we don't have enough mentors. You know, Mm -hmm. if you go to boys and, you know, big brother, big sister and all that, they're always looking for more and more mentors. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's sad because the mentor, your number one mentor as a man, as a boy should be your dad. He should be right there and you should be able to follow his example. And I pick things up from my father just from osmosis, yeah, yeah. not him sitting me down all the time. Hey, son, this, 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 and this. Just from watching him, observing him, mm-hmm. and sometimes just subconsciously, I wasn't even purposely watching him, but just it's, I'm picking it up. Mm-hmm. And so, um, my father used to help me not all the time, um, but when I needed help with my homework, with my writing, mm-hmm. he was very smart in terms of English and writing, and he could help me with that. And, um, you know, he was the head of our household and his family was first. He was home every night. You Mm. know, Um, he was very active in my life, my and my brother's lives as far as 
as I mentioned, coaching us and playing sports with us. Yeah. And stuff so so chris like so when you talk about that right because uh that that kind of opens up you starting strong already bro <laughs> you know that kind of opens up that's the only way i know how to come bro i feel you strong in the lord strong in the lord <laughs> yo so that that opens up something right there like you know because when we talk about mentors right um you're not just talking about mentors as it pertains to your job or even school you're talking about mentors have uh kind of integrated into the hot like people need kids now need mentors just for regular manhood just like j- just to be a boy that's what you're saying it's become an industry yeah and thank god for it because of the negative situation we're in mm-hmm. but in the ideal world we wouldn't have that yeah you know i mean like you said there would be mentors in a different industry i want to be a broadcaster so I might have a mentor helping me with broadcast and I want to be an engineer. Oh, we have a family friend who's an engineer. He can mentor me in that. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. That's always going to be. There. Mm-hmm. But a mentor to just show you how to be a man, a mentor to just relate to you as a male when you're coming up and you're 12 years old and you're 13, you start to enter puberty. Somebody you can talk to about that. That's an adult and been through it and has a responsible attitude toward it. That, ideally, that wouldn't exist because your father would be there mm-hmm. to do that for you. So, and, and, and like I said, there are a lot of reasons for the destruction of the Black family and, and Black fatherhood in so, particular. So, Chris, let's, let's, go, let's go there. Like, what, what, what are some of the things that you've seen as it pertains to that, especially for us as Black men and for our Black boys? Well, I think one is that um, a big change in American society in like the 50s and 60s, you you could, because the industries were in America, Mm -hmm. you know, factories and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. any man, but in this case, a black man could go with, maybe didn't have a, a great education. But you could go and work at a factory, mm-hmm. get a solid salary with benefits, and take care of your family. Mm-hmm. But once those jobs began to go overseas, mm-hmm. that took away a whole you know, bunch of unskilled labor-type jobs. Yeah. And we were, that was a, a, a big opportunity for us, those types of jobs, because of the racial discrimination and oppression, we didn't have the education of white white men. So those unskilled factory jobs, that was a big opening for us. And so um, that, so, so the unemployment, you know, is an, is an issue in fatherlessness. Yeah. Um, the rate, cause a lot of men, if they can't get a job, and be a breadwinner. They don't have to be necessarily the main breadwinner, but a breadwinner in the family. Uh, some men don't feel feel whole, and they they're embarrassed to be with their family, mm-hmm. you know, because of that. And so you got that issue, and so they they go run away from it. Sometimes, if the boy is as a teenager growing up sees that you're not productive, that can lessen your authority. Mm-hmm. With the, with him, so overall, I don't want to get too much on the tangent, 
but the unemployment is an issue. Systemic racism mm. in, in the, the factors of unemployment, in the factors of uh, the educational system, not giving us the same opportunities, um, and mass incarceration. You see black people don't use or sell drugs any more than white people. Mm-hmm. But yet the overwhelming majority of people in prison for nonviolent crimes and involved in drugs are black. Mm-hmm. And so people on the are talking out of two sides of their mouth. On the one hand, they'll criticize the black father for not being there. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, they promote mass incarceration and with and the war on drugs, which is unfairly focused on black men. Mm. And so when you, in doing that, you took black men out of the household mm. that you didn't, you didn't do the same thing for, for white men who may have gotten caught with cocaine or drugs or whatever. I think that's a factor as well. And then there is a personal degree of responsibility as well. Mm-hmm. It, you know, a lot of the people that deal with fatherlessness, they focus on one thing and that's man up, man up, be a father to your child, take mm-hmm. care of your child. Hey, there's a, a level of that, that you should have a personal responsibility as a man to take care of the child you brought into this world. But there are other factors, as I said, the, the uh, unemployment, the educational uh, opportunities, the uh, mass incarceration, and things like that, that also contribute. We see leaders in America at the highest level, leaders with great educations, mm-hmm. a lot of times politicians, you know, but leaders mm-hmm. with um, a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And we see them have great moral failings. Mm. So if people who have the money, have the prestige, have the education, are having these moral failures, how much more is someone who can't get the education, Mm. who can't get the money, who society is working against? How much easier is it for him to have a moral failure? Mm. You know, and and one that moral failure could be, I'm not going to, you know, help take care. I'm I'm not going to be there for my child. And let me say this too, when we talk about fatherlessness, Mm -hmm. because there is a focus. Most people just view that as a black issue. Mm -hmm. And it is, we are the most prominent. It's Mm -hmm. around 75% now of black children being raised without the father in the home. Mm -hmm. And we need to own that and and begin to get, you know, work on that. Mm -hmm. Um, But in America as a whole, it's now 50% roughly, mm. of all American children of all races are now born with the father outside of the home. And let's not forget the first fathers in America to neglect their children were the slave masters mm. who were father children with the slave woman and enslaved their own children. Mm. So I, I want to dispel this notion that it's just a black issue or a black thing or something inherent in black men that makes us not take care of our children or whatever. This has been an issue in America from the white slave owner doing it himself all the way up until today. So, um, but yeah, it's it's a multifaceted problem. So, that, so- 
athletes to be hit from many angles. This is great. So, cause, cause this leads me into my next question, right, Chris? Um, and when we talk about the lack of mentors or or the need for mentors, right? And then we talk about what it is that you were saying as it pertains to the lack of fatherlessness um, or, or fathers in the home. Um, how important, right? And um, it's because it's two prong. How important is it that we become, as, especially as men, the the village or the support system that we need? You know what I mean? From a brotherhood perspective, and then. How important is it for us? Because we talk about the children, but we kind of not talking about our counterparts, meaning our women. How important is it for us to choose and to love the woman that we choose that we chose? You know what I mean? As it pertains to getting married, you know. So you, you could tackle that, you know, however way you want to. Well, marriage is the foundation of any society. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the greatest institution on earth. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the foundational institution on earth. So uh, you need to get married. Mm -hmm. Brothers should value marriage. Mm -hmm. You know, we shouldn't look at it. And it's not just black men, but men in general. You shouldn't look at marriage as the ending. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm done having my fun. Now I'm going to get married. You know, marriage is wonderful. And like I said, it's a foundational institution in any society. So this notion that we just about to hey, we just different. We just ain't going to be married, but I'm going to have kids all over the place. And, you know, I'm going to be in their life, but we ain't going to be married. That's that's not, you're going to be, have problems because of that. Mm. You're going to have drama in your life because of that. You know, it's, people got to accept responsibility for what they do, mm-hmm. you know. And, it, and this goes in general, like, the reason a lot of, there, there are reasons for drama in our lives that we don't create. Mm-hmm. That because of our job situation, because of something else going on, whether it's maybe it's even systemic oppression or whatever, that creates drama in our life. But there are also a lot of ways we create our own drama. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't really want to hear you complaining about the drama that your baby mamas are giving you. You got four baby mamas with all these different kids and you complain about the drama. You created that situation. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's going to be drama. You know, when you got all these different women and they got they bitter towards you because you're not taking care of the kids or or your relationship with them. And you got they jealous of the other woman you got or women. It's just we can we create our own a lot of our own drama. And if we would do it more the way it was created to be done, you know, in that in marriage, uh, you could alleviate a lot of drama from your life. Um, but, but obviously, no, but I think that leads to the, to the, to the other part, man. You know, a lot of men, um, number one, is marketed and glamorized to have uh, you know a variety of women, and then the other part is is that we don't have the accountability on our end. You know what I mean? Um, from other other men, you know, I mean, like we do, but you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 like, yeah, right. but you know, in in general, right. you know, right. so so. How do we counter that? You know what I mean? Look, for black men, we got to understand one thing. American society, and even before it was America, you know, since we've been on this land as enslaved people and all the way up to today, American society has wanted black men to not be men, but be boys. 
You know, that's where the arrested development, mm-hmm. you know, they wanted us to be a, have arrested development where we're stuck in this state of perpetual adolescence. Mm. Because when you're an adolescent, you can be physically strong and do what's necessary on the plantation or just necessary, you know, uh, in a job, but you're not mentally responsible and strong yet because you're still in an adolescent state of mind. And so um, that's what America's always wanted for black men because it's easier to control them. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, a lot of us are caught in perpetual adolescence. Mm. And uh, so we're that's where adolescents aren't as accountable. Adolescents aren't as responsible and uh, taking responsibility for their actions. So I think that, you know, some of you know, we do have to have that accountability and you do need brothers that are going to hold you accountable. Um, and, and like I said, a lot of it goes back to what we talked about with fatherhood. Mm-hmm. My father held me accountable as a, as a boy growing up. Yeah. And so I learned that from him. And there, like I said, there are a lot of different obstacles in, in the way of African-Americans uh, and, and systemic obstacles. Mm-hmm. But one of our biggest is our, the breakdown of our families. Mm. And um, I remember when I was uh, covering high school sports, and this mm-hmm. isn't a rule, but it was something I noticed and was um, often the case, more often than not. Mm-hmm. But we used to have players of the week come in uh, to get their picture taken. We put interview them and put them in the paper. Guys who were the best in football that week, basketball, baseball, soccer, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And obviously I was in Ohio, Akron, Ohio. A lot of the best ones were African-Americans. Mm-hmm. and it got to a point after a while where I could almost tell, I could tell the difference in many cases, most cases between the young brothers whose fathers were in their life and the ones whose fathers weren't. Mm. Ones whose fathers were in their life were usually more respectful. Their grades were better. Mm-hmm. They looked you in the eye, you know, shook your hand firmly. Mm-hmm. Whereas the ones that, whose father weren't there, they were just kind of out there, like loosey-goosey, you know, just yeah, silly, high and all that, yeah. you know. But, you know, and again, that's not a rule, but that was the case with many that I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it, a lot of it does stem back to fatherlessness. And I think we as a society, instead of setting up things that make it um, difficult to be the father to your child, we should put things in place that enhance that enhance one's ability to be the father that they were meant to be to their. So, so when you say difficult, right? So putting things in place, what 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 are some difficulties that you see? Would you say like the court system, things of that nature? Yeah, one one is mass incarceration and the war on drugs. Uh-huh. You know, because you send a lot of black men to, to jail and put them in the judicial system for having marijuana on their person. Yeah, Whereas yeah. out in the suburbs, you, you can see it even today in the difference between the approach to the opioid crisis mm-hmm. and the crack epidemic. Mm-hmm. You know, the crack, they weren't, there was no sympathy for the people selling or, or really using crack. Mm-hmm. There was no sympathy for them. They were thrown in jail. Mm-hmm. Whereas now people with opioids, their sympathy, 
You know, they're going into rehab, not, you know, why? Because it's most more often a white problem with the opioids. Crack was viewed as an African-American problem. So that, but yet when you, like, like even a young brother getting caught up in the judicial system as a, as a teenager, you know, because I used to go and speak to brothers in the prisons, Mm -hmm. in the juvenile detention centers. And when you throw a 13 year old in the juvenile detention center for having drug marijuana on him, but yet the kid out in the suburbs, you just sent to rehab or you gave him a slap on the wrist. Um, That kid now in the juvenile detention center, his education's disrupted. Mm. Now he's been exposed to maybe some real hardcore criminals Mm -hmm. and maybe learn from them. Maybe had an experience in that juvenile detention center that's really messed up his mind. Um, and Trauma. so now you're sending him back into the world with it's going to be harder now for him to get on that right path because of what he experienced there. And he's got a record mm-hmm. and all this, the, the surveys show how much harder it is for a black man to get a job, you know, and, and that's men, black men with no records, yeah. you know, to be challenging. And so now you got a young brother with a record. And it's even harder. So that can lead a young man to, you know, have, you know, be hard for him to be the father that he wants to be or could be to his children. What it boils down to this is this, Al. There are many different aspects to racism. One of them is that racism is when you believe because of the color of your skin or your ethnicity or your race that you have certain rights and privileges that other people of other races don't have and mm-hmm. shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. You get you get favorable treatment because of your ethnicity by society. Mm-hmm. And that still goes on in America. And what I would say is treat African-American, bo- African-Americans, period. But in this case, young boys, give them as much p- opportunity Treat them with as much patience and mercy as you do white boys. Mm. If you do that, that is a huge step in the right direction. And that is not done, whether it's black boys or black men. Mm. And one of the we seen we've seen a, a recent examples of that in the last months, where in places like Michigan and Wisconsin, I mean, you are seeing white militias yes. with guns, shotguns going to state capitals mm. and intimidating, trying to intimidate politicians and law enforcement, you know, people that, you know, make lawmakers mm-hmm. and, and, and the p- police are treating them with patience. Mm. They're not putting, but, but yet in Baltimore or in Ferguson, when African Americans without guns, no militias, just ran African Americans, no guns, no weapons, protested the killing of Michael Brown, they brought out tear gas mm. on them. And they brought out the National Guard on them. There was no patience. Mm. There was no uh, top politician, the president in this case, saying those are very good people. Mm-hmm. They're just frustrated. Mm-hmm. That's 
pure, unadulterated racism, white supremacy, and white privilege. The notion of white supremacy. There is no white supremacy. That's the notion of white supremacy. Mm. And that's what that is. And so we're what, what we need, one of the obstacles is you treat all people equally, regardless of their race. And if you remove that obstacle from boyhood all the way up through the rest of your life, then that will go a long way in helping African-American men reach their full potential. That's 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 dope, bro. Look, so I'm gonna change it just a little bit, man. Now, uh, you know, me and you, you started a movement called the King Movement, and uh, let's take it even back a little bit further, right? And I'm I'm a I'm a, a supporter. I'm a I'm a leader in the movement, <laughs> but your relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, how has that informed you, uh, in in being a black man and how is it, how has it empowered you in being a black man here in America? Man, my faith and my relationship with Christ is everything, you mm-hmm. know, everything to me. Uh, that's given me the wherewithal, the peace of mind, the joy in my soul, the boldness, the courage, the commitment to my family, the discipline, the wisdom, Mm-hmm. to do everything I do. And so it all begins with my relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And um, as far as, you know, being a black man, you know, I mean, it's, it's just having the relationship with the almighty creator, mm-hmm. you know, knowing that God himself loved you enough to give his life for you. Mm. Loved you enough to give his life for you. So I don't, so I don't care what, what white people, some white people, or other people say about me, because the almighty creator who created them loved me enough to give his life for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm not worried about you. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so understanding and fully embracing the gospel has definitely just empowered me in ways that, you know, I can't even, it's hard to even put into words. Mm. Um, And so, you know, because what Jesus did, you know, sin, who everybody has sinned, all of us, Mm -hmm. um, that keeps us away from God. Mm. You know, just like if you're, if I'm married and myself or my wife, you know, does something egregious against the other person, um, it, 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 puts a barrier in our relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the same with sin. Our sin puts a barrier in our relationship with God. And Jesus took the, paid the price to remove that barrier. Mm. You know, when he died on the cross, he paid the price to remove that barrier and we can be forgiven for our sins. And now we have free access to God and that barrier is no longer there. So any, every human being, needs, has the opportunity to have, and I think should want that free access to God. Mm -hmm. And when you do go to him and get that access and begin that relationship and it grows and grows, you'll, you'll experience the wonderful peace and joy and power that comes with it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's just, you know, no matter what society has said about African-Americans, 
God has said, I love them. I love you mm-hmm. as much as anyone else. Mm-hmm. You are valuable to me. Psalm 139, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Mm-hmm. There are many African people, people of African descent or African people in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. So I believe the Bible says that every word of God is, every word of God is pure. Mm-hmm. But also says all scripture is profitable mm-hmm. for correction, reproof, uh, doctrine, and, and instruction in righteousness. Mm-hmm. Everything in the Bible is there for a reason. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that God put African people in the scriptures in prominent positions where the Egyptians who were African are called wise, you mm-hmm. know, and are, and are men of wisdom, where the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8 was reading 2,000 years ago. He's reading the Bible Mm -hmm. where the men who laid their hands on the apostle Paul to send him out to the Gentiles, two of the three of them were black men. Mm -hmm. You know, where there's even much African blood mixed with the blood of the Hebrews who were Semitic, not not European, Semitic. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a mixture there. Um, So, you know, where uh, with African blood. I mean, I could go on and on, but these examples also counter the negative narrative that's been given to Black people and Black men in particular Mm -hmm. in America. So the first thing that counters that negative narrative is Jesus himself loving me in the gospel. The second thing that counters it is the actual presence we see of African people in the scriptures doing many positive things that America has at times said black men can't do. Mm. And so um, it, it's just empowering in so many ways. And, and let, let, when we talk about the eunuch, right? Uh, the, 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 the powerful thing about it is, is that when we look at slavery, they tried to hinder people, hinder black African people from, from reading. But in the scripture, you see <laughs> an African man reading uh, scripture, you know what I mean, which counters everything that yeah. was happening during slavery. You know what I mean. Yeah. So just in that scripture in itself is empowering. And then he was teaching, you know. So, so, oh, wow. so, it, all, all that's all wrapped up in that 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 small little scripture. You know, I think the the other part is is that we as African men as black men, we have to be able to read. We have to take the time to read and 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 look for ourselves in, in scripture. Um uh one thing uh Raz uh over here in Newark, Raz he says he said there's a there will be a room. Um Raz Baraka. Yes, Raz Baraka, the mayor yeah. of Newark. He said if if you go into a room um and you, you see a picture, if somebody took a picture of the room um and and it's a kid. He wants to see himself in the picture, you know, and when he sees himself in the picture, now he's able to relate to that picture. And he said, what what education does is we as African black, black men, black women, we don't see ourselves in that picture. And what happens is, and and for a lot of us as um, descendants of slavery, um, what has happened is the, the scripture has taught a lot of our people to read. 
you know, yeah. and, and things like that. However, a lot of times we have been misinformed in our reading. You know what I mean? We will read things to make us feel good because we had to get through what it is right. we had to get through. But now we're at a time where we, we where we able to read from Genesis to Revelations and we're able to even uh, dissect the scriptures and see, you know, where we're at in the scripture and then how it applies to our everyday life, you know? Absolutely. Um, so, yo, so let's talk about this. You and your, your relationship with your brother, man. What's, what, what's that like? Uh, man, I, we have a good relationship. You mm-hmm. know, he's a year younger than me. When we were growing up, we, we were close, but we fought, man. We yeah. fought every day, pretty okay. much every day, physically. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but we, you know, we began to, we, we like I said, we we're always close. Yeah. But in high school, as you get a little older, that's when we became closer and, and without the fighting. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we, we've had challenges in our relationship. You know, when I first became a Christian in college, he became a Muslim. Mm-hmm. And so we had a lot of debating back mm-hmm. and forth with that. And um, but even then, it was still love and friendship. But it was just a heated conversation yes. and discussions. And um, but, you know, now he's he's no longer Muslim. But, um, you know, we have a we just have a good relationship. We talk we talk probably every week and a half. Something like that on That's the phone. Good. That's good. Um, every week and a half, two weeks, something like that. And um, you know, I, I got I'm always there for him if he needs anything. He's always there for me. And so, uh, and we laugh and joke. You know, we just have a good time. It's a good, good brotherly relationship. I think so. So, and and even you just sharing that, I think what we have to learn is because you talked about going from adolescence to adulthood. Um, a lot of people are stuck when you talked about arrested development. A lot of us as young men are stuck in that fighting stage. You know what I mean? Like you like fighting physically. You know what I mean? Right. And even right now, what what happens is is that what I what I heard is you went from, you know, you guys fighting physically, you know, because you guys as boys, you challenging each other. But then even from a doctrinal perspective, you guys were engaging intellectually. Right. And and that's growth. You know what I mean? Because, you know, what happens is sometimes as we get older, uh, you're going to encounter different type of battles. And sometimes the battle isn't always physical. You right. know what I mean? And we have to learn how to engage in a mental, emotional type of type type and spiritual type of warfare that I believe that us as uh, our young men aren't really prepared for. You know what I mean? And that kind of, I guess, kind of helps you um, even how you go back and forth with, with what it is that you do now. You know, uh, it kind of, you know, because you, you have a boldness about you, <laughs> you know. Uh, how, 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 is, how has all of these experience helped you in, into your, in your career? Well, I just think that um, it's, you know, these spiritual experiences and, and my upbringing and stuff, it just made me the man that's, that I am. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and then I also do think that, you know, the past debating that I did with my brother and, 
you know, even I've debated other people. You know, mm-hmm. I've debated one time I debated like seven Muslims at once. Me. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but at the juvenile detention center in Cleveland, Ohio, yeah, Euclid yeah. in 22nd, it used to be. I don't know if it still is. Yeah. But um, so I think, you know, having to logically defend your belief or your point, you know, all of that went into it's the same thing I do on television, you yeah. know, or on the on the radio. Yeah. When I'm trying to debate, you know, who's better between LeBron and Michael Jordan or whatever it may be. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot of the same stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking, speak at churches and colleges and stuff, that prepares you to speak in front of television mm-hmm. or on television. And so a lot of these different things um have just kind of played into who I am as a person. So Chris, I have a question for you as it pertains to like debating and which could help a lot of young men out. Um, is there a formula that you kind of prepare for? I mean, I know like you're a wealth of information, but like how you deliver it, you know, cause I remember, you know, years ago, uh, people didn't really add stats. It was more so based on opinions and, 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 and feelings, but then people started to to start back up, backing up their, their thoughts with, 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 with stats. So is there a way that you start to, uh, you kind of prepare mentally for some of these conversations? Um, you just want to be prepared and have your information, okay. you know, and be able to argue it. And like you said, stats are used to back up your information. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes the stats prove your point. Mm-hmm. Um, but stacks, you know, you can, you need to have a reason and a logic behind your argument. Mm-hmm. And that's critical. A lot of times with, with these shows, whether it was first take on ESPN or undisputed on Fox, a lot of times people want to get on there, a rapper in a lot of cases, I want to go against Skip. I want to go at Skip. <laughs> And then he eat them. And generally what's happened is when, when one of them gets on there, they got one point mm-hmm. and they make their point. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. And then Skip makes his counterpoint. And then the rapper got nothing left. They, they, they essentially end up reiterating their same point over and over in different ways. Mm-hmm. And that's fine because you're a rapper. That's yeah. what you, you're not a professional, you know, analyst, a sports analyst. So I, I'm fine with that. But if you're going to debate these things on television, you need to have layers of argument. Mm. Layers, you know, where when he counters, you can come back with something. Mm-hmm. Or if he counters your point, you've got another counterpoint. Mm-hmm. You know, or you've got different aspects of your argument. Mm-hmm. You know? And the thing is, you want to be right, but for television... Uh, it's an opinion mm. and it's a sports opinion. Yeah. So it, it, you, it, in a sports opinion, you know, you might be wrong, but it could be entertaining. <laughs> and, and we don't, we're not wrong on purpose. Nobody goes out there just to do it, take this side because it's going to be entertaining. Mm-hmm. But my point is that everybody's opinion, like, like in the, we debate the GOAT debates, the biggest debate, mm-hmm. Michael Jordan or LeBron James, who's better? It's an opinion. Yeah. You know, I say Jordan, that don't mean it's right. Mm-hmm. You say LeBron, that could be, you know, it just is right. It's just an opinion. And so 
You just need to be able to back up your argument with solid points. And um, and that's really the key to, to these types of debates. Let's go. So wearing the Black Men Are Dope and Black Women Are Dope shirts has been pretty amazing. Like I would walk around and people would look at my shirt and there are some people who looked very uncomfortable, but then there were people who were nodding in agreement. And that just boosted up this sense of pride that I have of being a strong Black woman, as well as being having having strong Black men in my life. And I just want to share that message with the world. And a lot of the times we think that we can only share that message from verbally, you know, talking about our Black, our black men and Black women being so dope. But you know what? I can share that message without even opening my mouth and saying the word. I just put the shirt on and walk around and let the and I let the fashion speak for itself. Go to www.mrihardy.com forward slash shop and put in the promo code Chicken and Waffles. Before I get to this last question, I, I have one more question before that. Um, now, when we talk about you know Kobe, LeBron, and uh, and Mike. You've interviewed all three, correct? Yes. Um, how are they just in interact acting with the media? Are they cool people? Like, you know, are they how how has that experience been? You know, and and, and not just are they cool with the media, but um what sets them apart, you know what I mean? Like from seeing them behind the scenes, you know, and things like that. Well, for, first of all, I do like them. All oh, they were, they were, you know, good guys and, and cool people, as you put it. Um, LeBron, uh, and they're all very smart, but Le- LeBron is uh, intelligent and, you know, he he knows what he's, he's very cognizant of what he says and, and what he tweets and puts out on social media and all that. Like, mm-hmm. He's not just going to say something off the cuff uh, that may get him in trouble. Like, he's he's very intelligent and, and aware of his brand and his public persona and what that means, what, what his public image and persona projects. Mm-hmm. And he very much wants to project an image of strong Black manhood Mm-hmm. and strong black fatherhood and strong black husbandhood. Mm-hmm. And that's one reason he's open to sharing so much about his family mm-hmm. um, because he understands the value of that. He understands that that's needed for a lot of young black people, mm-hmm. uh, particularly boys. Like he grew up in a, without his father there, and he's even said in the past how, or posted how, the example of the Cosby Show mm-hmm. during the eighties, you know, and we know the the issues Bill Cosby's had since then. But mm-hmm. at that time, and it still doesn't take away that was a wonderful show, the Cosby yeah. Show, with a father who was a a doctor and a mother who was a lawyer, and you know, college educated children and all in the house, you know, just a great black family Hmm. and he talked about he's you know talked about on social media how that was such a great 
example for him. And I think he's cognizant of wanting to present a similar example that's in a, real life. Yeah, that's that's I think that's a great point because when you look at like Kobe and Mike, you know what I mean? They had their pops in their life. So they so he didn't so what his experience is like this is the not just the championships, but him being able to because he seems like he's more open, you know what I mean, to like a people LeBron. person. Yeah. So, like so he wants to have his family amongst them and everything like that. Not saying that Mike and Kobe didn't, but they're more protect they were, you know, more protective more of them. Private. You yes. know what I mean? So I think that's that's a great point. LeBron's a different, very different personality, particularly from Mike. Um in that LeBron just loves the the attention and mm-hmm. the spotlight. Mm-hmm. Um and he thrives in it. And he he just I maybe you know he grew up since he was 14, 15 years old. He was a nationally known figure. At 16, he's on the cover of Sports Illustrated. So mm-hmm. he's kind of grown up in that world, whereas Michael was not, you know, a prodigy. Mm-hmm. You know, Michael became great in college. And um, and Michael, as you're even seeing in the last dance, he uh, you know, he he didn't love all that attention mm-hmm. and that. Obviously, everybody, they're the great things about fame, everybody likes for the most part. But he just didn't, you know, that wasn't his personality to to want that all the time. And you see off since he's retired, he's for the most part kept himself out of the limelight and out of, you know, the spotlight. Mm -hmm. So those are just different personalities. Um, And Kobe shocked me, like in a good way. I really did not think he would make the transition from basketball to life yeah. or, or career after basketball the way he did. Mm-hmm. He was, it was incredible the transition he made because he was so into his craft as a basketball player and being the best he could be mm-hmm. that I was like, man, what's he going to do when he's done? Mm-hmm. And what you found out was that he he moved on toward, you know, he was a venture capitalist and mm-hmm. obviously became a media mogul with his companies. And he put the same energy into those things that he put into basketball. Mm. And that was so impressive. And uh, even in that small bit of time he had outside of basketball, he was able to accomplish great things. And so all three of those guys are just very impressive in their own way. And um, it's, it was. I'm glad I did get to interview all of them and meet them and stuff like that. One more, one more. The, the approach to coaching uh, people, uh, Phil Jackson and uh, uh, my, no, not Belichick. Uh, from uh, Popovich. Pat Pat, Popovich. Yeah, even Pat Riley. What? How, how were their approaches different? You know what I mean? And coaching great people. Well, it, 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 very interesting. I think when you look at Pat Riley and Greg Popovich, um, they they very much adjust their styles of play to their personnel. Mm-hmm. Greg Popovich, when he had Duncan and Robinson, he played inside out with the Twin Towers. Then he played more of a defensive first men- mentality when Robinson was gone. Mm-hmm. And Duncan was the anchor. 
And then when Duncan got older, he went more to Gen- or, uh, Tony Parker as the hub of the offense. Mm-hmm. And at one point, even became more offensive-minded as a team, even though they still had good defensive principles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Kawhi Leonard, the, mo- the time he had him as the star, it was a little more focused on Kawhi as the creator of the offense and isolation. And, and even with LaMarcus Aldridge, that's the case. And so, and DeMar DeRozan. So he he adjusted to the talent around him. Same with Pat Riley. With the Lakers, it was Showtime. We run up and down mm-hmm. with finesse. With the Knicks, it was hardcore, bruising basketball. Mm-hmm. Defensive first. And um, Phil Jackson has that more, he more, the triangle is going with him wherever he goes. Mm. Um, but Phil was great in that. He very much, you know, he was obviously more laid back than the other two mm-hmm. and um, probably empowered his players more than the other two. Although they, they both empowered, their, all of them empowered their players. But he was, he might be what you call more of a player's coach mm. because he wasn't as, as hardcore, as hard driving as those guys. But, um, and then, of course, you know, he brought in the meditation and all that stuff, too. Yeah, yeah. But uh, and obviously, all of them three were success successful in their own right to mm-hmm. a high degree. All right, this last question, man. Your 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 wife, your daughters, your daughter, both of them graduated, or um, yeah, Noel graduated from Michigan last Saturday, and Alexis is graduating from Penn uh, two Saturdays from now. Okay, that's well, that's that's awesome. Congratulations, bro. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so what are, what is that, you know, what is how important are those relationships? What are those relationships like? And let's start with your wife though, brother. <laughs> you know what I mean? How important are those relationships, you know, loving your wife and everything like that? Well, the Bible, we talked about Christ. It says husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously God's very loving with us. So um you know, your relationship with your wife is is largely a uh, it can be it can be telling about your relationship with God. Mm. You know, not and not you're you're gonna have arguments, you're gonna have fights, mm-hmm. you know, disagreements, not physical fights, but mm-hmm. you know, arguments. You're gonna have disagreements, but um, you know, I think the key for us has been that we both focused on God, and so. When I need to be put in check, when I'm I've gone astray from what God wants me to do, mm-hmm. um, the Holy Spirit convicts me mm-hmm. and drives me back to the relationship uh, in a more positive way. And the same thing for her. Um, and so, you know, we pray together, mm-hmm. we talk about the word, you know, together. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're both laid back people too. Like one thing I th- I'm thankful for with my wife. She's not a nagging wife. You know, <laughs> ain't a nagging wife. Great, man. Like, I mean, sometimes she do things that get on my nerves, and and I know I get on her nerves sometimes. But she's not a nagging wife, man. Yeah. Which is like and, my and pops. My pops. Husband. My pops. He talk about uh, like one of the things that drew him to my mom's was being her being sensible, not silly. You yeah. know what I mean? So yeah. I think that's. Yeah. I, I think that's a, like you know brothers need to hear that you know what I mean somebody well, who, no doubt, who don't always turn up <laughs> you know what I mean sometimes 
Sometimes I look, man, sometimes I look on, and, and not, I'm not even talking about the reality shows because I don't watch those, but mm-hmm. um, some of these movies mm-hmm. where you see some of these incredibly loud women who I'm like, and, and, and sadly, I think some people, uh, some young girls are emulating them, mm. you know, and, and I'm just going to keep it real. Like, I, I'm mainly thinking about like the Tyler Perry, you know, Why Did I Get Married mm-hmm. movies, mm-hmm. part one and two. And the one sister in there who's just so loud, she married to the big bulky yeah. dude who used to be a former. And I know it's fictional and, and it's a little overdone because of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. But I'm telling no man could live with that. Yeah. No man could live with <laughs> That's just too much. Like, there's yeah. no way. So sisters, do not emulate that. I'm not saying you got to be, you know, my wife don't back down. You know, my wife, you know, speaks her mind and all that. But that is not the model you want. A man, and, and I think you know this, Al, you, you, you battle outside of the house, yeah. in, the, in the workplace, your job, trying to make, it, make ends meet for your family. You don't want to come home and have that type of battle. Yeah. You know, <laughs> in your house, you know, and um, so I'm thankful that I have a wife who's not a nagging wife. And my daughters are similar to her. So, you know, she's done a great job with them. And, you know, I, I, I'm very cognizant of having a great relationship with my daughters the best that I can. And, you know, they, they've, they've been made me very proud. And um, that's great, bro. No, that's great, man. I mean, you know, I think I've met you like right before they went to uh to high school, you know. So um, you know, so yeah. so, so I, I, how long have we known each other now? Bro, it, it's probably going on probably. ten. Yeah, I was gonna say ten years. Yeah, yeah. they're twenty two now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's 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 good, man. That's I mean, yeah. I'm I'm excited, you know. I mean are they are they looking to go go get their masters and everything? Alexis, Alexis, who graduated from Penn, she's gonna be working at Yale um, as a lab manager. Okay. She she her degree is in psychology. Okay. She's gonna be a lab manager at Yale for um, two years, and then um, she's gonna go get her PhD in psychology after okay. that. So, so Noel is more in communications and film and TV production and stuff. So she won't. She she has no plans at this point to go to grad school. So that means the bill is still coming to you. <laughs> no, 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 no. They they about to get off the payroll, bro. Oh yeah. The PhD, Alexa's gonna be making her own money at Yale, and then the PhD program is like oh, you know, oh, they, okay, like stipend and all that, and okay. then Noel. You about to get a job and get on out, you know. <laughs> nah, that's uh I joke with him all the time, like, man, can't wait to get him off the payroll. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean you, I around the house. No, nah, no, nah, I feel you. I mean, they not full time, but you, you still got some part time money for them. <laughs> yes, very part time. <laughs> Bro, I appreciate this, man. I truly appreciate this. Um, I know you 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 got a busy schedule. Yo, you quarantined and you still got, got a. Bu- I got an interview right now. I got a role too. All right, now nah, go ahead, bro. I appreciate you, All man. Right, All right, man. Have yeah. a good one. Strong in the Lord. Strong in the Lord. Wow, wow. 
Hopefully you've gained and you've learned something from this conversation with my man Chris. Uh, super intelligent guy. I mean, we could have kept on going. You know, he had to get on another call. But, man, look, follow him. And then I just want to say thank you for, for listening. Um, and I just pray that you learn something from this.